Hello, everyone. I'm Lee Saville Ixik, and this is the Artsbound Podcast, where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industries to capture bits of wisdom, insight, and inspiration for young people interested in careers in music, theater, and dance. Today, I'm talking with John Panaccio, who is a luthier, an instrument maker, and restoration worker who works primarily on bowed string instruments. John's been doing this work for over two decades, and he has some beautiful stories to share about some of the instruments that he's worked on and some of the people he's met along the way. Here's my conversation with John. Hi, John. Hi, Lee. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Um, So thanks for being here with us. And um, in the intro, I did a little, um, just a brief mention of what you do as a a luthier, mostly working on um, violin and and other bowed string instruments. Um, But why don't you tell us a little bit, let's just start by having you say, like, what is it that you do as a luthier? Um, Because that's really your, your day job. Yes. So I restore stringed instruments of the violin family or bowed stringed instruments, uh, primarily violin viola uh, for the most part. Um, and I also make instruments, uh, but primarily what I do is restoration work. Great. So, um, so how did you get into being a luthier? Like, what was the path? Is this something that you knew that you were going to do when you were in high school? Did you, um, you know, is it something that you studied in college? How'd you get here? Uh, Serendipity. Uh, So I went to music school. I studied uh, and majored in jazz guitar performance. And uh, in my early mid-20s, I needed a day gig. And so I took a job working on in, in a music store basically um doing minor repair work and and cleaning of rental stringed instruments i just needed a job it could have been anything at the time i just wanted to make some money so i took this job and i just got more and more interested in it and loved it and did not expect for that to happen uh, i just fell in love with the whole idea of measuring and fitting and fixing and um, I and I come from a family of uh, tailors and my father was a tailor my mother was a dressmaker and it seemed to be something that I tapped into that I didn't know that I would like so much um, so uh, from there I through that establishment i met a violin maker who allowed me to apprentice with him and i did that for a few years and then i went on to work in a fine violin shop um which was just a fantastic opportunity because uh that's where i really learned about restoration work and repair work and about instruments and about identifying instruments and about just the A to Z of the luthier business um, from that shop. There's so much entailed. And uh, from there, I just I worked at some other shops and, and just uh, 
learned over the years and and that's how I got into it. Nice. So you were talking about your parents and that they were tailors and dressmakers and so you kind of grew up with this this kind of tactile your parents working with their hands is it is it something that you did with them when you were a kid or you know do you have prior to this experience out of college did you have other experience doing woodworking or anything else that you feel like kind of set you up other than your parents line of work not at all okay. uh, it seems counter, it seems counterintuitive but no, I, I mean, I had a wood shop class in high school, which I hated. And I just thought, <laughs> right. I don't want to be around wood and dust and all this stuff. And then, uh, it, yeah, it, everything changed for me. Um, yeah, there's something enormously satisfying about just working with your hands. And I just feel we're wired to do that. And, and it's amazing what will what can happen over time um as far as what experience teaches you about fitting things and cutting things and it's just um yeah something i enjoy very much nice so do you play violin not at all okay no i don't uh which people are always kind of alarmed by or uh, surprised (laughs) by but no i don't but uh, having a musical background is very important in this business. Even if you don't play one of one of the bowed instruments per se, um, understanding intonation, understanding pitch, understanding how music works, and understanding musicians is very important. So to have a background in music is it's pretty uh, fundamental, I would say. Okay. Okay. So. You talked a little bit about what you studied in college. You studied jazz guitar. And when you first got out of school, were you trying to make, you know, were you trying to make a career as a gigging guitarist? I was trying to make a career with my band at the time. Okay. And uh, that was the intention. And I, I didn't think I could like anything as much as I liked playing music, but turns out I did. Okay. And um, do you ever like, do you ever wonder, well, what if we got a record deal or what if we got signed for a tour or something like that? And like what, how life would look differently? Yeah, I do think about that. And I think it would have been uh, a lot of fun in my, probably in my 20s. But uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm very content. So yeah. I like what I do. Okay, cool. So it sounds like with how you came into being a luthier that you you like met a lot of people along the way that really kind of opened up your eyes to what this career and this profession is. Would you say that like knowing the right people is something that's that's crucial or you know how if i was going to be a luthier how important would it be that i go meet like the right like go study with the right person or meet the right person in order to get a job in the future or what's that look like how does that work well here's the great thing about this genre or this community uh is that i've just never met um 
a trade or I've never heard of a trade or a community that is so willing to help people. Like if you are a nice person and curious, anyone will tell you anything. Um, what's great about the world of restoration. And it, and it wasn't like this when I started in the nineties, but it definitely in the, in the era of you know, post internet, uh, it's definitely become just so friendly. Um, I mean, I can read an article in a magazine about someone's varnish retouch technique or something, and then immediately email that person and mm -hmm. say, Hey, I have some questions. How did you do this or that? And, and uh, they'll always write back. They'll always correspond. And it's just, everyone's always helping everyone. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, and there's a, a feeling of wanting to collectively raise the level of restoration and preserve older instruments in particular. Um, so it's not so much about who you know, although that helps, but it's just about being friendly and curious and inquisitive and, and people will, will almost always want to want to help you out and help you get where you're going. Yeah. So what, um, what's the most interesting instrument that you've ever worked on? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Uh, I worked on an, an instrument that was from the early part of the 1800s. And uh, it, and that's not that old in the violin world. That's right. And, you know, that's sort of middle-aged really. Um, but what was interesting about it was this person I did a little research on this person who made this instrument. And at the time, he was my age when he made this. And he had three kids, as I have. And I just, it was just fascinating to think about what was his life like in 1843 or whatever it was. And, and you know, it, it, did, he, did he struggle to make a living doing this? Did he, what were his problems? What were his joys? What it, I don't know. It's just that's what's so great about this business is that when something passes across your your bench, now you're the steward of this instrument, mm. and it's been around for 100 years or 200 years or maybe even 300 years, and now it's it's up to you. You know, now it needs your help, and you've got to keep it going, and that's a tremendous responsibility and real privilege to keep it going. I mean, I have instruments out in the world and i hope you know when they need attention that someone will feel the same way and treat them the same way but it is it's such an honor to have somebody's work in front of you that's no longer with us and and you can restore it and um get, and keep it going for another hundred years or so that's great yeah that's beautiful so um you talking about that made me think um uh, you know that I write songs and compose, um, but obviously in my studies and career and, and um, I've done a lot of playing and singing of music from other people, other composers, other cultures. Um, and uh, it's, it's taken me some time and some maturity to kind of 
take on that mindset, but that this idea that like I'm kind of borrowing something or, or stewarding something from someone else and um, just kind of approaching it with great care and respect and, and thinking about the, the context of when that music was originally written and created. And um, yeah, so it, uh, just what you said about the instruments kind of rang that bell for me as well. Hmm. That's cool. Um, so you mentioned uh, making a living like this guy from the 1800s how you know was, did he struggle financially um, a lot of a lot of young artists that are thinking about careers in the arts um, and their parents as well um, worry about job security and about the ability to make a living so um, could you speak a little bit to your experience related to um, like finding work like our are luthiers a dime a dozen or, you know, is it hard to get a gig or, um, are people really looking for, for high quality craftsmen, um, craftspeople, uh, or, uh, and then the flip side of that, like in terms of just being able to support yourself or you have, you mentioned have a family and, and kids, um, support a family doing this work. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not always easy. Um, it's it's much better now uh in the past few years um one thing i would recommend is if anyone is endeavoring to to get into this line of work is to just do what i did I, although i fell into it um take a job in a place that rents instruments rents violins violas cellos basses and just uh see how you feel about it be around the instruments learn a little bit learn a little bit about how they work uh see if it sparks anything and move on from there and if you're still interested and you keep learning and growing there are schools in the country that and in europe that um are violent making schools there are also a couple of places where you can learn restoration work um, but there's no substitute for being in a shop and just seeing instruments and looking over people's shoulders and, uh, learning different techniques from different people and incorporating them into your own. Uh, maybe in one case you might wholeheartedly, uh, adopt someone's technique or you might incorporate it into yours or et cetera. Um, but as far as work, um, it's, it's really, in the restoration world, it's always good to diversify. Um, a lot of shops have rentals. They do repair work, restoration work. They do sales, uh, adjustments on instruments, sure. accessories, etc. So uh, it, it can be tough, um, but um, connecting with people and diversifying really helps. Okay. And, you know, I, what I tell young people who are thinking about careers in the arts is often, um, there's very rarely, uh, an arts professional that does just one thing right? that like just performs or just teaches or, you know, um, that often our, our career lives are a, a mixed bag of different things. Um, and so it sounds like even within a shop, even within a, a, a string, um, an instrument maker shop, they're doing 
different types of work as opposed to just doing restorations or just doing, you know, first time builds or I don't know what the lingo is, but. Right. And I'm speaking more from the restorer's point of view than the strictly the maker's point of view that sure. I, I wouldn't be able to comment on that. Um, but in addition, almost everyone who does this is a musician and almost all of those people I would assume, uh, to some degree gig on the side. So mm -hmm. there's that too. Mm -hmm. So do you play? You still play? Yes. Yeah. And I, of course I, I know that because we've played together quite a bit, but, um, why don't you tell, uh, people who are, are listening, like how much do you, do you still gig? I do gig. Um, what I do, what I really love is, um, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, a guitarist, I I really enjoy chord melody work, uh, doing arrangements of jazz standards for solo guitar, but also pop mashups of songs that don't belong together, but okay. are, it's amusing, uh, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, because I, when I initially went to college, before I studied jazz guitar, I was a classical composition major for a year. And then I transferred to another university and studied jazz guitar. Um, so it kind of, it, it's a nice way to help me use some compositional chops and arranging chops and, and put it all together. Um, so that, I do that and I like to play, I have gigs at restaurants, um, uh, mm -hmm. brunches and that kind of thing. Um, gigs where I'm basically wallpaper. So okay. you hear it, but you don't hear it. So, which is the way I like it. So it's good. Nice. Fun. Um, I want to jump back real quick. You talked about schools that people could go to, to study, um, to be a Luther. Um, are these like, are these traditional four year colleges or is this a different type of schooling? Um, you know, is this something, you know, would you suggest that people pursue this schooling only after taking a job like you did or, um, is it something that people would want to do right out of high school if they knew that this was what they wanted to do? Um, well, I, I, I did not attend, so I think it's a three-year program. Um, okay. there's one in Salt Lake City, one in Chicago, uh, most notably that is, and, uh, I, I couldn't really speak to that so much. Most of the people I know in this business have come to it from some other line of work, either furniture making or um, uh, it just you name it, like um, white collar, blue collar, any collar. Uh, people okay. have come to this. <laughs> A lot of people have had it, uh, have been doing either making instruments or restoration work on the side, and then it moves from uh, being a hobby to a career and, so everyone comes from a different place, but uh, there are people who come who who go to school right out of high school, and um, which was not my my situation. But uh, yeah, that's really fascinating. It it feels like a totally different world than my background in music education. Because as a teacher, 
the the reality i mean you know we all come from different parts of the world different cultural backgrounds etc but the reality is is that we all went to a four-year school to get a, a certificate so that we could teach in public school so there's kind of this assumption that we all have a very similar background whereas it sounds like in your experience you've worked with people that kind of come from all over the place uh professionally yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. In some ways, um, my restoration career kind of mirrors my college experience in a way. And to explain that, um, I went to school, as I'd say, for jazz. And I, when I studied music, in, uh, when I attended the university in the early 90s, there were no PhDs in jazz. In other words, I had several teachers who had never gone to college. It was a very interesting situation because they were just gigging musicians. Um, and likewise, when I started out in the restoration business, the schools weren't quite as established. And a lot of the people that I learned from had apprenticed and just learned from different shops they'd worked for. Uh, although that's changing now, there are a lot more people who have been to school. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I understand what you're saying about teachers, um, and, and education, but in the restoration world, it's not so much about credentials as it is the, you know, your, your portfolio kind of tells the tale mm-hmm. you know, if, if, and your reputation and your consistent work, um, However you got there, you got there. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So last question here. For someone who's considering this, what is, first of all, what would you say is most fulfilling about what you do? And um, secondly, if there's any other, like, small piece of advice that you'd offer a young person who's considering something like this, what would you tell them? Uh, What's really satisfying is to restore an instrument and to have something that someone put themselves into and worked hard to make and is no longer no longer playable maybe it's in pieces even um and to restore that and to honor the work of the of that person that created that instrument um is such a privilege and so satisfying um, it's, and, and there's that, but there's also the work you do for uh, directly for a client or a customer where I'll tell you a quick story. There was a man, I think he was in his seventies. He was not well and it was approaching Christmas time and he had this violin that he bought as a kid and it was almost as old as he was. And he wanted for Christmas, he wanted to hear his granddaughter play it. Hmm. And uh, it, I, and it needed what's called a neck graft, which is, it's kind of major surgery, really. Uh, uh-huh. You cut the neck out, you graft it into the peg box, and it's it's a it's time consuming and it's it's involved. So, and he wanted to hear it played by Christmas, so <laughs> the pressure was on. So. Um, it took, I, I really, I worked really hard on that. Uh, I got it done and back to him by the 18th of December. Okay. 
and it all worked out. And that instrument's still being played years later. And that that that's one of my that that story was very that whole situation was very uh, satisfying and fulfilling for me. And there, and there were lots of those where you just make people happy. You know, like oh, it's always had this problem, and you fixed it, or you do an adjustment, a tonal adjustment, which means that is a, an entire vocation unto itself, adjusting instruments. Hmm. Uh, because these instruments are held together by tension, right? So there, there are things are movable. It's not like a trumpet or a brass instrument, which is soldered and screwed together, et cetera. Um, so, so the parts can move. The sound post in the instrument, the bridge can move the tailpiece, the tail gut, and, and all these things um, are adjustable to maximize the output of the instrument and the tonal quality of the instrument. Nice. And so knowing where to move what and how much and what will get you what result, that's also, um, doing that is also uh, something that is difficult but also very satisfying. Um, and what was your other question? What would I say to someone? Yeah, just uh, just a little, um, any other tidbit of advice for someone who's looking to get into something like this? Well, as I said earlier, just, it takes, it takes a certain temperament. Um, the, the tolerances in, in the violin trade are to the 10th of the millimeter. Everything's metric. Hmm. And it's to the 10th of the millimeter. And what's interesting is as you work on instruments over the years, those tolerances get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can start <laughs> to see them. You say, oh, that's, that's 4.7 or 4.7 uh, millimeters. And you can see it. And, oh, it's supposed to be 4.6 or whatever. And uh, if you're that kind of person that has the patience and the temperament for something like that to work with um, – small tolerances and to work over long periods of time. In other words, like let's say the varnishing world, you know, maybe I'll put some on today and then I'll put some on tomorrow and in three weeks it'll be done. Or, you know, if, if you think that suits your personality and you like working with your hands and your musical, being musical is really important. Um, then I would say, as I said earlier, Take a job at a shop, an entry-level position. Be around instruments. Be around people who work on instruments. And read. Read uh, because the stories are fascinating. Um, violin makers and the places where they lived and the times in which they lived, it's, it's, all, it's all very fascinating. And why, why some instruments are so valuable and others are not. And um, So... I would say slowly get into that world um, and learn as much as you can. Um, but it, it is a very, as I say, very friendly in industry, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and people will help you get to the next level, by and large. That's fantastic. Well, um, John, thanks again. And um, appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time. And good seeing you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. I've known John for six or seven years now, and I've just always appreciated 
the gentle way with which he shares the wise perspective he seems to have on life. I always come away from my time with him feeling like I've learned something, and today is no exception. Thanks to John for being on the show. Our theme music is composed by Chris Lidecker. I'm Lee Savaliksik. Thanks for listening to the Arts Bound Podcast. 